Have a deal in mind and a group of investors ready to go? Use TribeVest to pool your capital together through a multi-member LLC. TribeVest has streamlined the group investment process, making it easy, quick, and safe to do business with others. Start a tribe and invite your partners to join. Then you can use the platform to collaborate with your partners, pool capital, and manage your joint investments. I'm in 12 tribes myself. It is a great way to learn from others, spread risk, and get into deals at lower minimums. Go to TribeVest.com to get started today. Aspen Funds has been a consistent supporter of left-field investors. You may have seen Bob Frazier on an LFI webinar or at our October meetup in the left field speaking on investable megatrends for the next decade. Whether you're an accredited investor interested in mortgage note funds with a 10-year track record or other macro-driven alternative investments such as industrial, oil and gas, multifamily or retail, the Aspen Funds team is keeping track of the economic trends and co-invests on every deal right alongside you. Meanwhile, you get to do what you love and make every moment count. Download their free economic report today at aspenfunds.us slash LFI. I have to feel very comfortable with my partner. Not just the stuff that we can count. How many years have you been around the business? Check. How many people work for your corporation? Check. Way beyond that. Okay? What sort of a character this individual is going to be? And it's wonderful when things are easy and things are going well, everybody's great. You really check and you test your partners when things start going sideways. That's when the real character shows up. Hello, left fielders. Welcome to the Passive Investing from Left Field podcast. Our community is focused on networking and education to help people invest passively and think differently. Let's go. This is Eric Sessman from Clear Capital, and you are listening to the Passive Investing from Left Field podcast. I'm excited today to have Joe Burko with us. He is the founder and CEO of Astor Realty Capital. He's been in commercial real estate since at least 1995, and he's currently focused on a few things, development, multifamily, hospitality, retail, office, and industrial. So we're going to get to as much of that as we can. But Joe, welcome to the Passive Investing from Left Field podcast. Thank you very much, Jim. Great to see you again. Uh, it's been a little while. I think last time we met was in my neck of the woods in uh, in Fort Lauderdale, and uh, it was it, it, always great to uh, to reconnect. Yes, it's great, and I, we had a great time in uh, in Florida, and hope to get down there again uh, at the end of this year for for another one of those. The, the way I'd like to start is just I'd like, love to hear your journey. How did you get in interested in finance, commercial real estate, and then how did you end up as a, as a syndicator of, of uh, real estate deals? Wonderful. Great question. So the origins. So I'm from Israel, uh, born and raised, came here in 1994. Uh, and after doing it for about, you know, about a year, doing all sorts of odd jobs as those who, of us who kind of like, you know, right off the, coming off the boat, uh, moving company and, and, and taxi service and, and you name it. Uh, I found this little ad about uh, doing rentals in a uh, uh, in a small office in Queens, and it was the first time that you know I found myself kind of like you know dressed nice and tucking my shirt and my pants and, and buttoned down. And it, it feels it feels nice, and I really enjoyed it. So I've done that for a good number of months, and um, you know uh, I had a couple of insights about it. A, I really like what I'm doing. I was I was interacting with people. I was 
you know, doing, you know, sales and, and, and helping folks, you know, get there into their, you know, uh, you know, apartments. I like the chase. I like the excitement about is the deal going to go through with that sort of a thing, the competition. I really enjoyed it. Uh, but I also recognized that I like the larger avenues just around that time. Um, my local community college called Baruch College in New York City uh, just started a real estate degree, a four-year real estate degree called Real Estate and Metropolitan Development. And I immediately jumped on board and signed up. So, you know, it became, uh, yeah, it became kind of like my journey started from there into the world of commercial real estate. After four years, um, I got graduated, but at the time it was just around 9-11. So you can imagine New York City was fairly depressed, right? Yeah. Companies were leaving the cities, downtown below 14th Street. You couldn't even, you know, couldn't even cross downtown below 14th Street. Uh, the air were not, was not safe. Um, you know, across the street from where I used to live years later, there was literally a tent. It was a few blocks away from Ground Zero World Trade Center. So things were really iffy in New York City. So I just graduated. Here I am. Graduated with his fancy degrees, real estate metropolitan development, where we've learned everything about zoning and development and law and, and finance and all this good stuff, but you just couldn't find a job. And so I went back to what I was doing prior to that, and I signed up with a group called Citadel, and I was doing real estate finance, financing uh, investments, you know, for investment sales building, financing large commercial buildings. I've done that for a good number of years, but the shop was focused only on finance. And that was that division was focused only on real estate finance. One of my clients came to me um, and said, hey, you know what? I decided I don't want to finance the building. I want to sell the building. And so I signed him up and I took on an exclusive first time ever to sell a commercial property. Uh, I've done that well, recognized that I can actually, you know, utilize both, uh, you know, utilize investment sales and financing. Uh, a couple of short years after that, I opened up my own shop, Burko and Associates. And for a good number of years, so almost about 18 years, the shop was focused mainly on investment sales, structure finance, and syndication advisory. So we would help um, you know, large companies, public companies, raise capital, buy their assets, sell their assets, mainly large-scale buildings, office building in New York City, um, you know, uh, retail uh, condominiums, uh, hotels, conversions, land for development. Quite, quite interesting. And you can imagine New York City is probably one of the most competitive markets, possibly one of the most competitive markets in the world. Certainly not a market for the faint of heart. And so made a lot of connection. Um, and, uh, and, and just, you know, we've done really well. And I think the height of the company, we've had about 25 different associates that was working under my umbrella. Uh, some were focused solely on finance, other were focused mainly on sales. And I would focus mainly on raising capital, uh, for, for various companies. There's one little story I want to share with you. Um, early on in my career, um, my first, actually my second assignment was a portfolio of 11 buildings uptown, uptown Manhattan, 11 buildings. And, you know, it was, it was kind of like, you know, I was very proud of that assignment. Uh, it was early on in my career and many groups at the time were chasing this portfolio and trying to buy it eventually after what we call, um, you know, uh, 
uh, like a beauty contest, right? When all sorts of buyers are walking through the properties and they're trying to dazzle the brokers and all that good stuff. Um, we circled around two final bidders. Um, and it was Friday afternoon and one of the bidders wanted to do one more, one more bid, one more round before they actually put their final bid. Um, and then at that time, he gave me a proposal and uh, we shook hand on it. Uh, and I said, under those, those terms and that price, um, you know, the property is yours. Uh, and so he looked at me and I remember he said something that really struck with me and gave me kind of like my sort of like my, my way, my, my towel, right? Uh, and he said, Joe, you know, you're doing this business. Um, I just want to say, you know, when you shake hands here, you know, your name, your reputation really makes a difference. He used a word that we use in Hebrew. It's called Shem Tov, good name, right? There's a saying, like, it's better to have a good name than to have, you know, good fortune. So your name goes a long way. And that's sort of like crystallized for me how to be. So I believe in marathons. I believe in, you know, doing what's right for you, for your clients. Always put your clients first. And that's sort of like the origins of how I started. Years later, um, in 2014, I sold my largest transaction. It was a $182 million deal. It was a very, very tough deal. Um, I sold a, uh, a large office building. Uh, the transaction gained me uh, a good, good amount of notoriety in the market, lots of articles, um, you know, CoStar uh, nominated me for Power Broker of the Year in, in New York City. Wow. Uh, Globes gave me an award. And it was really amazing. But I got to tell you, Jim, I was done. I was spent. It was, I used to say, I specialize in tough cases, right? It was a very, very tough deal. It was one of those transactions that was on the market for a little bit of time, quite some time. Uh, the seller was super tough, very, very hard to make up his mind on anything, trying to negotiate a 60-page contract with somebody who constantly changes his mind. It was a tough deal. The buyer was tough. Uh, they were bringing the first Moxie Hotel uh, to New York City. They wanted to convert the office building. Um, it was super challenging. At the end of that, I, I lovingly say, you know, I uh, sort of like cried all the way to the bank and I've taken a you know, seven... <laughs> Seven uh, seven uh, figure check all the way to the bank, but I also knew that it was sort of like I'm done, um, and so I've taken some time off and asked myself where it is that I can actually make a difference, and what makes me, you know, what what gives me sort of like you know what what's where's my passion, why am I doing what I'm doing, um, and so I morphed the company from a, an advisory firm into private to uh, uh, private equity. And uh, conceptually, instead of advising on where to put the money, I started putting money where my mouth is. And I said, whoever believes in it can certainly follow. And, uh, and that's how we formed Astor Realty Capital. That's great. And it seems like a natural transition, right? You were advising people on how to do all of this. And then you decided, hey, I'm done advising people. I'm going to go do it myself. Yeah. So how did you determine which asset classes to jump into. And then also you had advisory expertise, but you maybe didn't have operating expertise. So how did you learn how to become an operator? Yeah. So, uh, you know, the first building I bought, the first investment property I, I done was in uh, 2000, the year 2000, either late 1999 or the year 2000. 
the first multifamily I've acquired was in the year 2004. So while I was an advisor for, for public companies, private companies, I've always placed my money into bricks. I've always bought real estate. I've always managed real estate, bought real estate. And so I sort of like, but you use my own money. If it wasn't fully my own money, it might've been me and one other friend who would come in 50, 50, you know, promotes, none of that stuff. We would simply go in and, and do it. So in between transactions, um, you know, I don't drive fancy cars. I don't have a fancy watch, uh, but I love, I'm passionate about what I do. And so my money always goes back into the bricks. So I've always bought buildings. I've always had multiple, multiple uh, investment uh, running concurrently. Uh, some in tough neighborhoods, some in great neighborhoods. So, so the experience of you know of analyzing, the experience of understanding, the experience of banking, all those different things, sort of like came together in 2014 when I started as the Realty Capital. Um, you know, I forgot to mention that I was also an advisor for the state of New York from. Uh, 2009 until 2018 until I left New York City to live in uh, Miami. So, so I've got that experience as well. Um, you know, so uh, which which properties and, and which assets I like, I'm agnostic. Uh, the way we run uh, Astor Realty Capital, essentially, we're focused on really a location that we want to be and within that location, which is the most needed asset class, right? And it changes from one location to the next. And I'll give you a good example. Uh, we've entered in 2002, late 2002, we've entered uh, into a fantastic uh, hotel transaction. It's called the Caesar Republic. Caesar Republic is essentially the first non-gaming Caesars in the United States, and that we're going to be the first one being built in Scottsdale, Arizona. Now, Scottsdale, Arizona, in my opinion, was getting a little bit overbuilt on the resi side. It was just a big expansion. Everyone was building, lots of demand, rents was jumping year over year. You could see that. You can also see kind of like the good the amount of of product that's coming online. So while I love Scottsdale and I love Phoenix and I want to put more money in, in it, I didn't want to be in residential. I felt that it's getting a little bit too saturated for my taste. You know, it wasn't that long after, six, nine months after, you started seeing that prices and rents are actually starting to shrink and prices of, of you know, multifamily, multifamily, single family was actually scaling back to the tune of 15 to 20%. And so while we love the market, I don't love the market at that particular period of time for multifamily. However, the dislocation as it comes down to lifestyle hotels, which is what Caesar Republic represent, essentially made a lot of sense. So it's not just an asset class because we're agnostic to asset classes. It's essentially where we want to build what. That, that That's fascinating, right? So if I understand this correctly, you you determine a market like Phoenix that you're interested in that market and you look at it and determine, here's why I'm interested. It's poised for growth. This and this is going to happen. And then you look at the asset classes. Well, multifamily is overbuilt or overdone or too many people are in it, too competitive, whatever the reason. So maybe yeah. now I'm going to do hotels. Is that is that kind of how you approach it for uh, other cities as well? 
Absolutely. Everywhere that we look, you know, there's some markets that we know that will be resilient uh, in any segment, in any particular segments. Uh, we have good examples that I'll share with you in a moment. But if you look at Phoenix um, and if you look specifically at Scottsdale, you know, you're seeing a couple of things. First, you're seeing you know, exponential growth uh, of industries, uh, movements, right, uh, from, from other towns and from other states into Phoenix, right? So we're seeing job opportunities. We see, um, you know, more and more movements. We see great quality of life. We see fairly good income levels, and the individuals that are coming down are coming down with income levels that are great there. We're also seeing, you know, the amount of construction starts. So we're starting to track construction starts because we love multifamily. We have a lot of it, right? About 60, 70, 65% of our portfolio is multifamily. Um, but when you look at construction starts, you also start to notice that the amounts are not necessarily going to be easily absorbed. So, for example, Phoenix, you know, if you're looking forward into this year, the growth is about 30 percent. The growth in construction starts, the amount of units coming online, it takes a while, close to 30 percent. It takes a while for it to get absorbed. And so what other things are missing? So in my opinion, what was missing was more lifestyle hotels because usually they come with, you know, they come with great restaurants, um, great places to hang out, venues for corporate events, all kind of different things. And so, you know, when you have this push of population, you need something different uh, as well. So, you know, that was a great opportunity. We teamed up with a wonderful, wonderful partner, uh, Rick, uh, Rick Hoffman uh, of uh, RCW. Uh, folks have been around the block for about a good 45 years. That's the other thing that we look for, which is probably the untangible part. Who's going to be our partner? Who's going to be building? Who's going to be managing the day-to-day? Because we manage the month-to-month, right? We look at the major decisions. And so that's sort of like, you know, the secret sauce of, of how we do and what we do. This is Zach Hapsensall, CEO and co-founder of Rise48 Equity. At Rise48, we've completed over $1.7 billion in total transactions, including 11 successful full-cycle dispositions. If you're looking to invest with an experienced sponsor in either the Phoenix, Arizona, or Dallas, Texas markets, then set up a call with us today at rise48equity.com backslash invest. That's R-I-S-E 48equity.com backslash invest. Visor provides investors with a secure platform that displays a comprehensive view of all of their holdings on a single holistic dashboard. From real estate syndications to private equity, crypto to traditional investments with AI-driven, unbiased, honest insights to maximize return, Visor is your one place to rule them all. Automating performance tracking, projecting future cash flow, analyzing all your financial documents and much more in one powerful solution, making it easy to follow the money. Sign up for a free 30-day trial now at Pfizer.co. I want to go back to, so in, in Phoenix, right, you, you determined that the market was there, but maybe multifamily wasn't where you wanted to be. You wanted these lifestyle hotels. It makes perfect sense. How do you know how to manage that asset, right? If you're 60, 70% multifamily, I assume you have the bulk of your expertise there as a company. So 
how do you, is that where the partner comes in and they help you manage it? Or is like, do you have experience in hotels? I know when I look at an operator, if they're not an expert in the asset class, but they're offering that asset class, I want to know, okay, how are you going to become an expert? So how do you do that with different asset classes? Absolutely. Great question. So what we do when it comes down to equity, when we do, when we invest in equity, we always choose great operating partners. And the way we do it is we structure a joint venture partnerships and then there's deviation. Our partner are the ones that are dealing with the day-to-day construction and are dealing with the day-to-day management of the asset. So in the fact, in the case over here with, uh, with Caesar Republic, essentially our operating partner has, I think about 3000 plus uh, hotel units, right? They've been doing uh, buying hotels, building hotels for uh, close to about 45 years now in multiple states, multiple uh, cities. And so they're fully integrated. And that's what I'm looking for. Well, I like to see people that are fully integrated. They don't have to rely on third-party management. Actually are designed specifically to make this operation a success. And, you know, hotels are tough, right? So I know a lot about hotels, finance a bunch of them, sold a bunch of them. I've been involved in, in hotels in various capacities. But to manage a hotel, you know, it's an entire conversation. Imagine if you have a 100,000 square feet office building, you know, you sign up leases five years, seven years, 10 years, even more, right? If you're running a thousand units complex uh, or multiple complexes of multifamily, you sign one-year leases. Hotels, you're leasing up your hotel every day. So this guy's... Right are leasing up 3,000 units every day. It takes a special kind of person and a special kind of an operation to run something like that and to do it successfully. And so, you know, that's that's one area that we look very, very carefully to make sure that we have not just, you know, not just great partners, but also, you know, folks that have really depth and experience when it comes down to operation. And so we show up with the capital. Uh, we show up with our expertise and we sort of like how we say we manage the month to month while our partners manage the day to day. And I like how you characterize that, that you're managing the month to month and they're managing the day to day. So when you're looking for these partners to mm-hmm. invest with, right, like you go to Phoenix and you decide hotels are it. So now you got to find an operating partner. What are some of the traits, the most important traits you look for when you're investing with a real estate with an operating partner, when you're finding that partner? What are you looking for precisely? Wonderful, wonderful question. Um, so I like to call it the triple C, right? So, you know, when, when we make a decision, we focus on three areas, right? So first one is the collateral, which we spoke about. Collateral is we have to love the real estate. We have to understand the location. We have to understand the dynamics. Uh, we have to feel comfortable with everything that's going on over there. We do our analysis. We dive very, very deep. That's the, That's our collateral. That's the first C. The second C is the credit, right? So we've got a lot of great guys with a lot of great experience, but they don't quite have the credit. In other words, they don't have the pockets. They don't have the ability to bring a bank. And if they'll bring a bank, it's not going to be a great bank. It's going to be kind of like an expensive lender. And so, so that's sort of a thing. Or they may be, I mean, they don't have what it takes. Right? And for me, it's extremely important that our partners have skin in the game, right? They have to have money in the deal. Those with skin in the game stay in the game. So the second C, the, the credit, right? What sort of credit they have? How are they able to bring financing um, and what sort of banks they, they can, they can uh, wield in? The last C is the character. And for me, it's the most important. A lot of folks 
consider that sort of like a secondary conversation, an afterthought. For me, it comes first, right? Because, you know, uh, people mess up deals. Real estate is easy to understand, but people mess up deals. And so there's no Excel sheet to explain character, right? There's no magic formula. And what I do use is I use my superpower. And my superpower is essentially listening. Um, you know, going back to my early years, almost 20 years of being sort of like the middle guy between banks and borrowers, buyers and sellers, between attorneys, syndications, all those different things. You get this, you know, probably have been around thousands of deals, a couple of thousands of deals. I might have closed three, 400 deals, but I've been involved with thousands and thousands of deals. And one of the things that you learn is you learn to listen. People talk and they'll tell you everything. You learn to listen. You ask the, ask the right questions. Ask the right question, but listen intuitively. And so one of the things that I do is I, I, I intuitively listen to the conversation. I look around. I have a conversation. I ask the right questions. We dive deep. If I would tell you that before we do a deal, I send private investigations, background checks that can go as much as 30 years back. We take it super seriously. So that's the intangible part. I have to feel very comfortable with my partner, not just the stuff that we can count. How many years have been around the business? Check. How many people work for your corporation? Check. Way beyond that. Okay. What sort of a character this individual is going to be? And it's wonderful when things are easy and things are going well, everybody's great. You really check and you test your partners when things starts going sideways. That's when the real character shows up. And so thank God, you know, I think we have very great, I think I have very great intuition. I think I listen very carefully. I look for things. I'm very, very sensitive when it comes down to it. Um, I got to tell you, Jim, you know, knock on wood, but never lost a dollar to our investors. I've been around the block today now 28 years. Never lost a dollar no. to any of my investors. Um, you know, we run about 3.6 million square feet. We're in seven states. We're in 12 major markets. You know, Phoenix is in the market we kind of like entered fairly recently. Um, you know, we're very heavy in the Northeast. We're heavy in New York. We're heavy in Florida. Uh, our offices are New York and Florida. Uh, in fact, um, uh, recently, uh, you know, we've we've moved, we pulled away from uh, from Phoenix as as an office. Uh, you know, but uh, but that's I think that's the intangible part. Just listen. You know, and and yeah. when it, and it's it's a whole conversation. We we can have an hour conversation just about the listening part. Yeah, no, I, I think I think listening is always a uh, undervalued or underappreciated uh, trait. You know, that that's so smart to just just listen because you'll be surprised what people actually tell you. Um, so. When we are, you know, so I understand a little bit about how you evaluate an operating partner. So as an LP, as a limited partner, how do I then evaluate and vet your company to decide if I want to invest with you? Because it's a different process, right? I'm not going to get down and, and go interview the operating partner. That's your job. But That's I need right. to interview you and figure out if I want to put money with you and see if you're going to be a good steward of my capital. So what recommendations do you have for LPs in vetting not just you specifically, but operators who 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 are like you, who yeah. maybe you know are doing the month to month and have somebody else doing the day to day. How do we how do we vet you? 
Um, I think experience goes a very long way. I would ask the question, how long this group has been around and what's sort of like their track record? Um, you know, what's, uh, you know, what sort of success and how many not so successful deal they might've had over the years, right? Um, what asset classes are their forte? There's, there's the kind of like the most, you know, most, you know, immediate things that you want to find out. So for example, you know, if somebody shows up across my desk um, and, and say, hey, we're looking for a partner uh, to invest in, you know, in a, in a hotel in, in Phoenix. We've talk, been talking about Phoenix for quite some time in hotels. A hotel in Phoenix or a multifamily in, in Miami. It's the first time for them to build a multifamily or they don't have the expertise uh, or they might have done it, but they've done it in a different city, probably will shy away from it, right? Same thing goes with everything else that we do. You know, you want to see depth of experience. There's no substitute to that, right? I mean, we can sit here. Look, I also teach real estate on a national level. Of a course that I've started in the pandemic, it's called uh, the Real Estate Masterclass. And it's a phenomenal course. And again, conversation for a different day. But essentially, you know, we people people can people can learn, right? People can learn things, but nobody can walk the walk for you. Nobody can do the thousand miles necessary in order to gain the experience. And that's one of the things that I think people, investors, should be looking out for. What's the experience level that we're talking about here? What sort of a team we have? Um, share with me some of your successes. Let's talk about the ones that may have not gone so well. How did you deal with them, right? What, what was it? You know, I, I keep on saying this conversation, we handled the month to month. What exactly does it mean handling the month to month? So for us, you know, right. we have an entire operation that is sort of like trust but verify, right? We have professionals in-house that check that the construction dollars, um, you know, are going to where they're supposed to go and they're not getting kind of like fizzled into other projects that we're not involved in. Uh, we want to make sure that we're on time. We want to make sure that we're on budget. Those things are extremely important. You know, typical investor doesn't have the capacity to do it. Um, so it's important to work with a group like ours. If you're a small investor, and when I say small, you know, be investing a few hundred thousand dollars, can be investing a million. Essentially, if you're not a professional investor and you don't have the tools necessary, you're sort of like blinded. You know, you're getting information from sort of like, you know, the cat that's supposed to watch the milk. Um, so I think that, you know, the, the kind of like, you know, working with a professional group like, like Astor Realty Capital and there are others that are good um, helps out. You know, first you have uh, economy of scale and you have somebody in your corner watching your capital. Um, and then collectively we have uh, what we call collective bargaining. Instead of showing up with $100,000, we show up, you know, with millions and millions of dollars so we can control how. Uh, the ship is going to go. Um, so I think those things are very important. And, and that's something that I want to come kind of like make sure that uh, push across to the investors that are watching uh, this podcast. Yeah, no, that makes complete sense. So wh where do you see the market heading now? I mean, there is so much uncertainty in the market with interest mm -hmm. rates, with, you know, supply chain catch up, the war in Europe, there's so much going on. Where do you see the market going yeah. and what investment strategies are, are you looking to uh, to go after in, in the in the current market and, and wherever you see it going in the in the near future? 
Um, so where do I think the market is going? And I think I'll probably surprise a lot of people because it's quite contrary into what's out there. But this is now my fourth, possibly fifth cycle, right? Started in 1995 when we were coming out of a very long cycle. Um, in markets, you know, markets are cyclical. So real estate is cyclical. But I believe we are watching the bottom. We're at the bottom. And I'll use some statistics to kind of like defend my position. So if you look across the United States on the real estate sector, all across all sectors, right, multifamily, office, re- everything combined across all states, all cities, real estate is down 15.2%. Now, compare it to the worst possible cycle that you can remember, which is 2008, 2007, across the board, it was around 20% drop. Now, don't get me wrong. Some sectors, such as mainly office, office in the Northeast, office in New York, office in Boston, Chicago, you know, uh, office in Los Angeles and, and, um, uh, and San Francisco is an area like this, is going through an entire level of pain, a very, very different level of pain, right? We've seen drops of 45%, 50%. We've seen drops larger than that in valuation. But across all sectors combined, it's a 15%. In the worst possible recession, it was around 20 We're not facing the worst possible recession. We're doing fairly okay, moving away from an 8 8.5% inflationary environment into now a five, five and a half percent. Employment is still doing good in comparison to where we, you know, where we are, if we want to consider it to be a a full recession. What we're seeing is a significant pullback um, of of banks, right? Moving away from, yeah, from, from, you know, lending with, with a lot more stringent underwriting criteria. Uh, so there's dislocation. There's less capital available because of that. The rampant interest rate increase over the last year uh, have caused valuation to erode, right? They've caused a significant impact to those who are not ready. All those folks that have taken short-term adjustables, sort of like, you know, bought assets at unrealistic entry points, two and a half caps and three caps and so on. So those that have entered into those risky situations find themselves in very tough areas. So there's going to be a good amount of pain over there. But essentially, I believe we're looking at the bottom of the market. Where do we pivot from here? For us, we play in three different strategies, right? We deploy capital into three different different strategies. It's equity. It is preferred, okay, preferred equity which is reducing risk a little bit, and credit, right? So lending. Our lending platform is about, uh, we're about to launch uh, a, a very significant lending platform right now in order to supply capital to best-in-class uh, operators, developers uh, that are looking to build, that are looking to acquire, renovate, and, and occupy, uh, and stabilize certain assets. Uh, and I think that that's an area where we can achieve equity level return while reducing the risk quite significantly. So we're looking into a fund right now that's going to launch, probably going to be around $120 million. Um, fund one that's going to be focused exclusively with uh, debt. Um, 
And I think it's going to, I believe we're going to be generating somewhere in the 15 to 18% return liquid available for our investors, uh, paid quarterly or monthly. And uh, we're very excited about that. That's that's where we that's where we find. So we always have a ability to pivot between debts, between equity. Um, of course, we're we're also available to to place capital out with with best in class operators. We'll never stop that. We've built amazing relationship over the many years uh, prior to Aster, and of course the years of Aster. So uh, we're certainly available to uh, to put uh, capital in with with our uh, with our partners. And. Talking about the uh, the lending fund, I mean those the, the return numbers you said are, are, are seem pretty high. How how do you achieve those kind of returns um, on a lending basis where there's no there's no upside, right? It's just you lend money and people pay you interest. So how how do you generate fifteen to eighteen percent on that? Uh, the secret sauce is our cost of capital. So we have very accretive cost of capital. And so the arbitrage between our cost of capital and the, arbit- and the capital that we have uh, when we lend it out uh, creates somewhere in the uh, low 20s to mid 20% return to our, uh, to our fund level. After fees and after promotes and everything else and management fees and asset management, all that good stuff, our investors uh, end up in somewhere in the vicinity of you know, 15 to 18% return. So... Um, that's, uh, it's all about access to capital. And, uh, let's go back to, uh, uh, earlier in the conversation where I've mentioned good name, Shem Tov. Um, you know, you don't walk around this business for close to 30 years, um, without building a reputation. And it's up to you to create whatever reputation that you're building. And thank God, you know, I've always, uh, done right by my partners, by my investors, by my clients. Um, and it's, it pays off. This is the marathon that I've mentioned. So those of you who are out there thinking about entering into the business, if you're new in the business, any bit, doesn't have to be real estate, whatever business it is, the marathon eventually will pay off. It always pay off in the long run, right? And it takes a while. It takes a while for those things to turn around. So today we have, um, you know, very, very deep uh, partnerships and very deep Sources that believe in what we're doing have been you know, with us for many, many years and are you know, eager to supply us with the sources of capital uh, that are creative for our business to continue growing. Right. Interesting. Well, thank you very much. This, this has been fascinating. If listeners want to get in touch with you or learn more about Aster Realty Capital, what's the best way they can do that? Uh, so first of all, our website, AsterRealtyCapital.com. Uh, my cell phone, um, it's a 347-262-4118. Each and every investor that we have, and we have hundreds and hundreds, always speaks with me uh, at one point or another. They may go through my team first, but eventually to onboard an investor, I always make sure that I find the time, whatever it is, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, or half an hour, but we do spend some time together to understand each other. It's extremely important to me. Uh, Jay b at asterrealtycapital.com is my email and of course uh, you can always reach our, our uh, investor relation manager laura nieves at laura at asterrealtycapital.com so that's who we are you know we're uh, institutionally backed however we always operate as a boutique company we'll never lose that flavor
That's fantastic. And I will put all that in the show notes. So if you're driving in your car, you don't have to pull over and write all that down. I think it's fantastic that you uh, give out your cell phone number so people can reach out directly. This has been an awesome episode. Thank you so much for for coming on. And we look forward to hearing more from you in the future. Thank you very much. It's always a pleasure. Take care. Thank you. It was fun talking to Joe. I really appreciate him being on the podcast. A couple of things that stuck out. You know, he talked about he was an advisor first and then became an operator, which gave him a lot of experience. And that gives you some confidence when you're thinking about investing with him, that he has all this experience going back to 1995. But a lot of it was advising others. And since 2014, he's been investing on his own, although he had done that uh, the entire way a little bit. So it just gives you a little bit of extra confidence. I liked hearing that. I really thought it was interesting on how he finds investments, right? He picks a market. Phoenix is the one we talked about. And then he looks at the market and says, okay, this is a great market. I want to be in it, but what do I want to be in it to do? Because he's not just focusing on one asset class, he's focusing on different asset classes. He can go into a market that he thinks is fantastic and then pick an asset class that really fits his needs. And I just think that's a unique strategy. Hadn't heard of that before because most of the operators we deal with, they're you know either multifamily or their self-storage or their hotels, but they don't do all of the stuff. So they're not as market focused as he is. So I thought that was really interesting. And then when he's choosing his operating partners, his JV or his operating partners, character comes first. And that seems basic. Of course, you want character, but really, you gotta go after that and find that because there's some people that are promising great returns and they might not deliver. But if you're investing with people of character, then they are going to you know, be concerned about their character and their reputation. So they're not gonna put you hopefully in deals that they aren't confident will succeed. Now, everyone's gonna have a bad deal here or there, but if you invest with character, that makes a huge difference. And Joe also said, listen, listen. I need that more in my personal life than in my business life. You really have to be a good listener and you'll be amazed at what happens. And, you know, that's something I practice all the time. I'm not great at it, but getting better. But as Joe said, if you listen, people are going to tell you stuff. And when they do, believe them, listen to them, and then believe what they're saying, because sometimes they'll reveal things that they weren't they weren't really hoping to reveal. And that could help you in a positive or a negative way, determine if you want to invest with them. Another thing he mentioned is the cycle, right? I'm not a big uh, believer in timing the market. I just want a dollar cost, cost average my way into investments. Uh, but you know, you do have to recognize that there's difficult times in the market and better times and maybe increase and change allocations. But he thinks we're at the bottom of the cycle. And so he thinks good times are coming. And hopefully he's right about that. But as he said at the end and in the beginning, this is a marathon, right? We've talked about that. This real estate is not a get rich quick scheme. It's a get rich, slow and steady scheme. It is a marathon. If you're in this for results tomorrow or next week or next year, I don't think you're doing it right. You got to be in this for next week, next year, next decade plus, right? This is a long-term thing. If you start now, there's no better time to plant a tree than now. So if you start now and get ready for that marathon, you will have success over the long term, I believe. So that was great with Joe. Thank you very much. We're going to keep on watching Joe and see what he does next. That's all we have for this time. We'll catch you next time in the left field. Thanks for hanging out in the left field with us today. If you are interested in becoming a left fielder, you can find us on the World Wide Web at www 
www.leftfieldinvestor.com and click the subscribe button to join our community. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe to the show on your podcast player so you don't miss an episode. If you really enjoyed the show, a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to the podcast would be appreciated. Thank you for listening to the Passive Investing from Left Field podcast. If you enjoy the show, please go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and rate and review the show. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Nothing said on the show should be considered financial advice. Before making any decisions, consult a professional. This show is copyrighted by Passive Investing from Left Field and Left Field Investors. Written permissions must be granted before syndication or rebroadcasting.